Father, we lift up this time to you, this time of fellowship that we have with one another, a time that we get to spend with you in your word as you teach and guide us. And we pray, Lord, that you would fill us full of insight and wisdom for the things that lie ahead of us in this new year. Help us to leave behind those things of the past year and not even give them a second thought, but always look forward, always be optimistic, always be up, Lord, in what we know that you can and will accomplish through us and with us. We so much appreciate the opportunities that you give us and help us to be faithful in these things you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I was uh, reviewing last year in my mind. I was working this last week, this last weekend here, and I was thinking what we do as a church and the things that we are involved in and are we doing quite enough. I was kind of taking stock of what we're doing. And just to let you guys know, if you don't already know, we support a girl's home. Those who are in the sex trade, they are taken out of the sex trade, sometimes kidnapped and placed into a home where they can recover, uh, recuperate, and learn what it is to be a believer and they're given the gospel and, and they are saved from that life over in Cambodia. Also, we support an orphanage that is over there. Then there's Basilio Nunez. He is down in San Catin, Mexico, and the Pixleys over in Croatia. We also help the Lakeside Help Center and the Alcohol Pregnancy Center and also Drew McIntyre from Calvary Chapel Alpine who goes out and gives the inductive Bible study all over the world, whether it's China in the 1040 window, some of the Muslim countries, Cambodia. He is there actually today. He is sleeping right now, but they're doing a medical mission as we speak. This particular year, we are going to do two missions. Uh, Eric and I, we are leaving in April, and then there's a group of five people that are going to be leaving in June that are also heading over. And so we're kind of ramping up what we're doing there. I haven't decided or the Lord hasn't told me yet what we should do with Mexico, and I think we should do something down there, whether it's uh, building another couple of homes or if it's we have an opportunity for other projects down there. The Lord really hasn't said what he wants us to do, but uh, I'm kind of waiting on that. And then there's the regular things that we do throughout the year, whether it's for the body here itself, whether we do a baptism or we do the Christmas on the main, which is... That was huge. We, right now we have about 700 and some odd stockings. Uh, is Yolanda in here or is she teaching? Teaching. teaching. 700 stockings, something like that she has. And so uh, we're gearing up. And next year we will have a photo booth. I was talking to Janie about that. Uh, my granddaughter was at an event up in uh, Rancho Santa Fe, and they brought in this photographer. And that's a hit. I mean, kids were just lining up with their parents and everything. It was a father-daughter uh, thing that I went to with my granddaughter. And we're going to have one of those out there. And so we're, we're looking forward in what the Lord wants to do. And any other opportunities that come up, we'll certainly take advantage of them. And we want to use wisdom. We don't want to take on so much that we're just like, this is so hard. Ministry is hard enough as it is. And, but we want to make sure that we're just tempering what we can do. We want to make sure we don't overburden ourselves or the body in general, coming up with all these fantastic ideas of what we could do. But there are certainly, uh, the harvest is white, and we can go out there and we can do so much. I would just ask that you would pray what the Lord would have you do on that. So 
I hope you had a memorial or a memorable Christmas and a New Year's. Ours was filled filled with tears and laughter. Uh, We have an empty nest and all the kids and the grandkids were there and they just filled up the house. And our house, I don't know about your house, but our house is loud. I mean, the kids running through and, you know, just doing their thing and screaming and yelling and laughing and eating and just everything that's going on. Like my grandson, you know, he came up and there was a busted toy. And why my toy is broken? You know, I said, hey, nothing that a little duct tape can't fix. The next thing I heard my grandson say was, "Mm, mm, 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 mm." you guys don't get that, do you? (laughs) Just kidding. I don't treat my grandson like that. But I I also had a chance to take my uh, granddaughter roller skating. Uh, We go roller skating from time to time, and I am getting older uh, doing that. And it does hurt a little more as I fall from time to time. But it's a lot of fun. It's things to do with the kids that will give them a memory. And, you know, with grandkids, you always like to embarrass them a little bit. Not too much. And not them directly, but you like to do things that draw attention to you so they go, oh, stop it, you know, that type of thing. So we were roller skating out there, and I decided to do the flamingo invitation, you know, get out there on the the skate floor and hiking up one leg and putting my hand up like a flamingo. And, you know, she is just beside herself. And she comes over to me and she goes, Papa, stop it. Well, I tell you, I had to put my foot down. You guys are a little slow, aren't you, huh? (laughs) So it it was certainly a a time of memory making. It was a special time. And you know it's really good when somebody opens up a gift and they just break into tears because they're just so thrilled that they got something that was special to them. And that's what adds to the time of Christmas and the time of New Year's. Now, as I was contemplating all of this these last few days uh, I recognize that there are also those who did not have such a good time you know like there's a true story of this immigration officer Uh, his story is updated in the news but he was not getting along with his wife and it just came out that this immigration officer his wife was from Pakistan and he got into the no-fly list and put her name on it So she could not be here in the United States. Now, this happened three years ago, but it just came to light. And he was summarily fired because of that. He, you know, he just was not a happy guy. And it goes on to talk about him a little bit. But uh, he was fired for that. And so when you, you look back on both the good and the bad, people start coming up with New Year's resolutions. Now, if you've read any blogs at all, Uh, whether they're blogs that are from people your age or like I've talked about before, the millennials, they talk just about everything uh, which is out there. And some spent time reflecting on New Year's resolutions that uh, people were making, other people were making, and these resolutions, they are based on reflection over the past year or a couple of years and what can be done to make things better for self and for others. Now, this is something to consider as being self-sacrificing, noble, or even altruistic, where you're doing it not only for yourself, but those who are around you. Then there's the opposite side, where people make resolutions to do things that are egotistical and self-centered. Another little story I read was of this man 
who lived in a multi-story building. There were apartments and the neighbors down below him complained that he was being a little too loud and they asked him to cut down the noise by half. Now this is a true story. This is not a joke or anything. And he resented that. And so what he did is he knew that they had a couple of dogs in their apartment down below that were illegal. You weren't supposed to have any pets inside of this building and they did. And so what he resolved to do and he could do this for several weeks he went out on his balcony from 12 o'clock at night till 4 o'clock in the morning with his cup of coffee and a dog whistle. And he would blow that dog whistle all night long on a regular basis to where the dogs would start barking and he just, I'm sure, made their lives miserable. And he did no self-reflection on maybe he was being a little too loud and maybe he should cut it back a little bit. But his focus was not on what he should do, but what he wanted to do, and he was self-motivated, and he was egotistical in that. So with all that, I, I heard this testimony. This testimony by the man, his name is Greg Tomlin, not to be confused with Chris Tomlin. Greg Tomlin is a voiceover guy. He is a broadcast engineer. He's on one of the radio programs that I listen to from time to time. It's a Michael Medved show, and it's on 1170 KCBQ. It's a conservative talk show uh, that's on there, and I don't always agree with everything that is said, but this guy happened to be on over the New Year's break, and he was talking about his resolution. And a year ago Thanksgiving, he decided that he didn't like the way his life was. He was very much overweight. Uh, He was having a problem with food and a problem with lust and a problem with several different things. And he decided that he was going to make a change. And he talked about this for probably 20 or 30 minutes. And what he did is on that Thanksgiving, a year ago Thanksgiving, he decided that he was going to watch what he ate. He started counting calories. And by the way, I, I can give a personal testimony to that. If you want to lose weight, you just count the calories. If you're faithful with that you will lose weight if you are under a certain amount but he did that and he lost 130 pounds and he's a a tall individual and so you know it it didn't affect him as much as it would have if he would have been small but he lost his 130 pounds and the way that he was talking you can tell he had an encounter with the almighty that because of his relationship he decided to turn these things around. Now, he had help with that. He had accountability partners. His wife was one. He kept track on his iPhone of what he was eating. He did certain things as far as his uh, eating was concerned and his uh, laziness. He said he was lazy as well, that he would just kind of hang around and not do what he is supposed to do. It's kind of like on a Sunday, if you just do nothing all day by about 8 p.m., you're feeling guilty because you haven't done anything, you know. And he was feeling like that on a regular basis. So he got a chance to turn around his life. Now, he did this by doing three things. He took inventory, he set benchmarks, and he took action. First, you take this inventory. He saw that he had this problem with laziness, with lust, and the deliciousness of food. He also sent benchmarks. He had goals, the eating and his life habits. He counted the calories. He kind of got in step with what he should do, kept track of things. He also, after that, took the action, follow a daily regimen. He was doing this on a daily basis. And it was just a testimony. It was a great thing. And people were calling in and, you know, asking for tips and what they could do. 
But uh, it just as a side note, he said he didn't change anything he ate. He just watched the calories. He, would, he said he would have sugar babies around the house, and his wife couldn't understand that why he'd have sugar babies, and he would just take them, but he would count what it was he was eating. And so that's all good for the physical life, right? Especially if you lose weight, you feel good about yourself, and you, you feel like there's been a burden lifted. I mean, literally a burden lifted, but then also inside emotionally and spiritually, this burden gets lifted when you are actually accomplishing goals. And so it's a good idea for us to have those goals before us. But if we only work the physical, it is not good. Now, you may have this idea, okay, I'm going to the gym. You know, I've seen posts where the, the gyms are making out. There's one guy, he was laying over a bunch of money. It was just stacked up. And the, the comment was, this is how the fitness centers are feeling right now. And he was just kind of rolling in the money is what he was doing, a little gift that was there. And so there are people that make these resolutions that we're going to lose weight and we're going to be more organized and our finances are going to get in order. And all of that is good. But if you do that only for the physical, it is not good. There is a benefit to the physical, but you want to make sure you're adding the spiritual. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So if you get your life in order, if you work on the spiritual, it will flow over into the physical, into this life here. We don't want to enter this new year and not pay attention to the spiritual. Now you might say, well, how does that transfer? If you do something for the spiritual, how does that transfer over into my physical life? And you know that would be talking about, well, you read the Bible, you pray, you go to fellowship, all of those things, and you might think, well, how does that benefit me here? Well, I'm going to give you some sets of threes. The way that this, first of all, benefits is you get hope, love and peace now hope comes first of all by trusting god and his will if we are believers and i think most of us in here are if we are believers we have our trust in god and it's rooted there it's like an anchor for a large ship it is the anchor for our soul if we are trusting in god Uh, for instance uh, my mother-in-law, I know that uh, she was inside. She couldn't get out. And she could, but she needed assistance, and she wasn't able to attend Catholic Church Mass. But she would watch it on television. And Patty introduced her years ago to the Daily Bread, and she would read the Daily Bread. And I, I have every reason to believe that she is a believer. And even though she's a Catholic, I believe she was a a believer. You can be a Catholic and you can be a believer at the same time. And I think that she was. But as we approach that age, and she was in, I believe, her 80s, as you approach that age, you start wondering, okay, I'm, I'm getting closer and closer to that time. Do I have the hope that I'm going to get a new body, that God is going to replace this one that I have? And if you trust in Christ and what he has said, you have that hope. And you don't have to be without it. There are those that die without hope, without hope of this resurrected body. Now, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 13, and this is the section that deals with the rapture, there were people that had this question about the body. Well, what happens to it? And if we die, do we still go to be with the Lord? And they were asking the Apostle Paul this. 
Do we still get this new body or are we going to be resurrected? What's going to go on with that? And he answered that and he said, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring us with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. That means those who are believers. It goes on to say, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first after that. We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So if you place your trust in God, I mean really place it in him. You may trust in your money that you have. You may trust in your vehicle. You may trust in somebody that is assisting you in some way. But God says trust in him solely. And if you do... You get this hope, no matter how bad things get, even to the point of losing your life, you have this hope that God is going to turn it all around. So that is one of the spiritual benefits that I'm giving you, one of three. Secondly, love. Love comes by practicing God's word. Now, there is no greater love than this in John chapter 15, verse 13, that a man laid down his life for his friends. And he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. So if you are doing, if you are practicing God's word, then you will exercise love because love is a verb. It's to love. In the case of God, it's used as a noun that God is love. But for us, love is to love. It's an action word. We're supposed to actually do something to express our love. I've talked about this before in relationship with a husband and wife. If you never do anything so that they know that you love them, they don't know that you love them. If you just say, I love you. Yeah. And you know, you're supposed to do something about that. I I know that people in the secular realm, again, I've told you before, I listened to Dennis Prager from time to time, a man who is a Jewish scholar and he expands he wants to do a whole show an hour show devoted to the importance of couples going to a hotel now you might say what motel six no not motel six going to like a hotel and spending the time just you and your spouse and getting away for one day or for two days and if you think to yourself What's the purpose in that? I can just stay home. Talk about sour. I mean, come on, just expend a little cash, invest in your marriage, that type of thing. And that's, that's what we need to do. We need to practice in our relationships the art of love. Not just saying, I love you, and not really having the person feel like they're loved. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And it goes on to say that if we practice this in James chapter 1, verse 22, that there is blessing to be had. And he tells us not to simply be hearers of the word. It says, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the words but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So if you install 
if you practice, if you do love, then you will have the hope, you will have the love, you will have the blessing, you will have everything that's wrapped up like a bouquet. So we have the hope, we have the love, and then the third thing is peace. You will have peace by knowing God and his word. If you don't know God, there is no peace. The only way to have peace is to know God. No matter how turbulent things get, no matter how difficult our world becomes. You know, all the laws, I didn't get a chance to listen to much of it, but every year uh, radio stations will tell you about laws that have been passed. And this last year that you have to be aware of things that are going to impact your lives. Now, there are thousands and thousands of laws, and there's no way we can know them all, but that doesn't mean you are held guiltless. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Any judge would say, if you break the law, you get a citation or you're thrown in jail. That's what they'll say. Sorry, ignorance of the law is no excuse. You're supposed to know these things, right? But you will have peace no matter how difficult things get. Now, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is implicit in this passage is that you have a relationship and that you know God. Because it says, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That means you know who he is. That means you're talking with him. Now you might say, I've just never been into the prayer thing. Maybe if I'm in trouble and I say, oh God, help me. Then I turn to him. But, you know, actually spending time with him and making your request to him and you may be listening for what his spirit might lead you to do. If you do that, you have this peace. There are really no problems that can surmount, that can overcome this peace, this love, and this hope. So if you are practicing the word of God, or if you are practicing love, if you are trusting God, and if you know him, you will have the hope, you will have the love, and you will have the peace. Now that will benefit you in this life. Have you ever met a person that has no hope? And no peace. I'm telling you, I I keep on mentioning these blogs. The sadness that is out there in the world. I'm going to give you another example. They didn't have this in my notes, but it's a classic example. Especially New Year's, uh, the losing weight. There are these before and after pictures of these people. They post of themselves. And they kind of want encouragement. And people do encourage them. They go from weighing like... 300 pounds and they get down to 150 Uh, some of the women they get down farther than that and it's just a great encouragement and one guy posted a little gif of himself now a gif if you don't know what that is it's a picture that moves for a short period of time it's not like a full video but it, it just moves for a short period of time and so this guy was filming himself as he was watching and reading this other guy who had lost weight and he broke into tears because he was overweight and he just needed some encouragement and people posted underneath his blog post several words of encouragement trying to help him but you could see the despair that he was in like he had no hope he didn't know how to get out of the rut that he was in like Greg Tomlin had done 
and it was difficult for him. And there are people that make these blog posts. They will show a succession of pictures of somebody who is diagnosed with cancer. And it goes through progressively the pictures as the person is dealing with their cancer, whether they're losing their hair or it shows them in the hospital bed. And 50% of them, at the end, it says something like, they will be missed. And it shows their final picture, maybe in the hospital bed or their head is covered with a wrapping and they're, they're just, they don't have any strength. And then there are those stories of victory where people overcome it. And, you know, they can drive you to tears just reading some of these blogs. And that's where the world is. The world, it has no hope. And we are not like those who have no hope. We do have hope because we know, we practice, we invest ourselves in God. Going on with this, I want to make sure that we review, uh, first of all, and especially if you're um, writing something down. There is the hope that comes by trusting God. There is the love that comes by practicing God's word. And there is the peace that comes by knowing God and his word. To put it another way, this idea of resolutions, as Greg Tomlin had made a resolution, if you make a resolution to trust, practice, and know God and his will, there will come hope, love, and peace. It's, it's that simple if you invest in that. If you make no other resolution, that would be the resolution to keep. There are three simple practices that will result in these three simple blessings. And what I mean by that, I'm going to tell you what these three are. There's three ways to look at it. Actually, there's several sets of them. But I want you to keep in mind simplicity is the key. If, if you look at your life the way it was last year and you look at your life the way you want it to be this upcoming year, you want to make sure you keep it simple. To give you an example of this, my wife Patty... Last year, she bought a one-year chronological Bible, and she's read through the whole thing. And that's quite an accomplishment, you know, to read through the entire Bible chronologically. It doesn't go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. It starts, I think, with the book of Job, because that's supposed to be the oldest book. And then it goes through chronologically everything that transpires in the Bible. So you don't want to bite off more than you can chew. Uh, Don't resolve to read the entire Bible. Start teaching a Bible study. Go on an extended mission trip. Memorize the book of Proverbs. Go to seminary. Walk on water and part the Red Sea all in one year. You want to make sure that you're saying, okay, I just... I just need to do a few things here to get in line with what the Lord wants me to do. And that, again, will produce the hope in you, the love that you need, all of those things that are necessary for life and godliness. To simplify this, how many commands did God give the nation of Israel? (laughs) Okay, I want to make it more simple than that. How many commands... Exodus and Deuteronomy, did God give the nation of Israel? Ten. He gave them ten commands, right? Oh, yeah, the ten commandments, right? Now, there were all these ceremonial laws that they had, but we know that the ceremony is done. You're no longer having to bring in cages here to church two pigeons, two turtle doves, You don't have some goats and some lambs outside. You don't have oxen which are off to the side. Eric and I are not going to take out our knives and go, yeah, and string these things up and let the blood come down and cover the the altar. We're not going to do any of that. That's passed away. Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. Now, there is the moral law, and that moral law is encompassed 
inside of the Ten Commandments. So is the civil law. The civil law is encompassed in that. So he gave Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel. How many commandments did he give you? Yes, two. He gave you two commandments. Now, you know what those are, most of you. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So if you want to know what to do, those two things. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And your neighbor as yourself. That's all you need to know. Right? So you set that up there. Okay, these are my standards. And whenever you decide you're going to do something, ask yourself the question, does this love God? Now, they wrote books about this stuff, like, what would Jesus do? You ever read that? What would Je- What's the name of that book again? I read it, but I can't remember the name. In His Steps. That's it. And it, it started a movement, what would Jesus do? Anytime you want to set out and do something, what would Jesus do? And I mean, it got just to the nth degree. I'm going to go buy food. What would Jesus do? He would have you eat food. Well, what food? What would Jesus... I mean, this is the point that the people got to, right? I'm going to buy a TV. What would Jesus do? Would Jesus? And people were transformed by doing the what would Jesus do. In other words, is this glorifying to God? Are you doing this because God wants you to do it? And that doesn't mean that I have to sacrifice everything to worship God. Well, that is true, but he wants you to have a life full of joy, Right? Should I take my kids to SeaWorld? What would Jesus do? He would probably have you take your kids to SeaWorld and spend time with them because you're supposed to spend time giving them God's word. My poor granddaughter, you know, I take her roller skating. I actually did do that. I took her roller skating. And I know my time with her is limited. I am just pouring the Bible over her. I mean, she says something. I go, let me tell you what the Bible says. She goes... (laughs) You know, she exasperates a little bit. I said, I know, that's, that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. I give you scripture. I give you guidance on what's happening. And of course, she has boys interested in her, you know. And I, I tell her, you text them this, because she does have a phone now. You text them this, that I am the one that will come and meet this guy, you know. And I want to put the fear of Papa in this guy. There's these boys that were that are interested in her and so she kind of laughs about that but i tell her you know bad company corrupts good morals it talks about that in first corinthians chapter 15 you know and i'm talking about what boys are interested in so she is fully aware because they are definitely interested you know and i need to stand in the gap so i'm giving her scripture all the time and so if you have an opportunity to spend with your children or your grandchildren give them scripture when they're rising up when they you're going out if you're working if you're playing when they're going to bed at night and they lay down you give them scriptural principles you don't always have to give the address but you talk in that way you let your speech be seasoned with salt and that's what that means you have the word of god that is there so not taking on everything to make yourself super spiritual is a good idea you need to take on a few things remember there's two commandments that we follow this one woman i listened to her she was on the radio her name is Lisa Tukurst, and she is with Proverbs 31 Ministries. Maybe some of you ladies are familiar with her, but she comes on in a spot on K-Love. And she was trying to be the good wife when she first got married. 
And she didn't know exactly how to do it. And she was talking on the radio how to be a good wife, that means if your husband loves sports, you've got to love sports, right? And if your husband likes to work in the garage, that you work in the garage with him. Or if your husband likes to build, that you build with him. If your husband is an outdoor huntsman, you better take up rifling and shooting and hunting and all of those things, right? And this poor woman, Lisa, she was going... I just can't do it all. I, you know, I, I'm not like that. And so she went to her husband and she said, can you give me just three things to focus on to be a good wife? And he was more than happy to tell her three things because she couldn't do it all. And these are the three things that he gave her. Be emotionally and spiritually invested in our kids. That was number one. Two, take care of your body and your soul. And number three, keep a tidy home. Not a perfect home, but a tidy home. So those were three things she asked him, and he said, these are the things that would make you a good wife, at least for him. And so he kept it simple. He didn't go into a long string of lists for her to keep track of because we are incapable of doing things perfectly. We just can't do it. We are imperfect people. I don't know how it will turn out on the other side of eternity once we pass from this life, but I think we're going to be doing things pretty well up there because we're going to hear God's voice directly. When it came to this woman and also to Greg Tomlin, they both took inventory. This woman, Lisa, she's saying, how do I do this? Where am I lacking? How can I be a a better wife? She took the inventory. She set some benchmarks, or her husband in this case for Lisa did it, what she should do to be a good wife, and then she took action. She followed through with those things, and she strove to do them well. And it was a good little testimony that she had. So for us, what are we supposed to do? We want to apply this to ourselves, right? Well, first, we take inventory. Now, this is the least favorite task that anyone would do. That means self-reflection. You look at yourself and you're going, okay, where am I blowing it? What am I not doing that I should do? And what am I doing that I should not do? And you have to take the inventory. If you don't take the inventory, you will not grow spiritually. You will be truncated. You will be cut off at the trunk. You will stay where you are and never really produce a lot of fruit, right? In other words, you're going to go in and you're going to prune your life. Now, you want to be careful not to hack away at your life. To give you an illustration of this, I've spoken about this illustration before, being in the agricultural industry, so to speak. Fruit trees, all the fruit trees that you buy at the local nursery are all grafted. If you look at the bottom, especially citrus, this is really noticeable, a lot of the stone fruits. If you look at the first six inches of any fruit tree, you will see a thicker stump, and then it just goes in, or it maybe goes off to the side, and you're going, what is that? That is where they grafted some root stock of a healthy fruit tree that fruit tree that was real healthy fruit stock but not so good fruit and then they take a known producer and they graft a bud from that known producer into that tree they do that you know you can get a stone fruit tree with six different fruits on it right that's because they graft these different buds and you can get one tree that produces plums and peaches and pluots and nectarines all on one tree they sell trees like that And it's possible to do that. 
If you go in and you hack it below the graft, all you're going to get is a real aggressive plant with no fruit. If you make drastic cuts in your life, if you just say, Whack, I'm going to cut out everything, well, you're not going to produce any fruit at all. But if you go through and selectively prune, by the way, you're supposed to be selective when you're actually out there in the field. You're supposed to look at the dead, the competing, the damaged uh, structure of the tree, and then you also shape. Dead, disease, damage, and competing is the way you're supposed to do it in that order. Once you do that, then the shape, it comes out nicely, and you're able to produce fruit. Then you cut back all the tips, and the, the inside branches become thicker, and you're able to support more fruit. And so we're supposed to examine ourselves. It says that in Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, in this taking inventory, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So you take an examination. You say, am I really a Christian? Am I producing fruit? Am I a disciple? And if you are a disciple, there are definitely areas that need to be pruned. So you pull out the pruners, your Corona 95s, and you get up there and you start snipping away. And you do it properly. Don't do it improperly. Don't let yourself get in there with a big old saw and take it off down at the trunk level. You're going to have an issue if you do that, right? Remember there was somebody in the Bible that the illustration was used. It was a grand tree and it was cut off down at the trunk. Remember who that was? He was the grand tree, Nebuchadnezzar. He was cut off, and there was straps put across the top of it to keep it from producing. And it didn't produce anything for a period of seven years. That's the time that he was crazy. And so God put him on the shelf. He just took everything out of his life, and that's a drastic measure. So as you're looking back and you're making resolutions, and you should make some type of goal setting before you make a resolution of some kind, we take inventory. We examine ourselves. We prune ourselves where necessary. Now, with that, you have to ask yourself the question. You're one of three things that is talked about in Scripture. You are either hot, cold, or lukewarm. Now, this gets a little close to home, right? Are you hot? Well, in here, what's the temperature? Probably 24 degrees, I'm freezing. We have blankets for that to where you can warm up. What is the temperature? 70. The temperature is 70. Just two more degrees and it will be pretty much ideal for most, not for all. But it, the, you have to take your temperature spiritually. Would you say, and you have to do this yourself, are you on fire? I mean, so on fire that when you show up to church... People come up and they put their hands up on you and they go, oh, you're so warm. And you just like, yeah, you have the joy of the Lord. You have the peace which passes understanding. You have all these things. You have the knowledge of Christ. You're a good disciple. You go to every event. You're being uh, faithful to be at Bible study. All of these things. You're here for worship. You, you just, yeah, life is great. God is good. And you're just bubbling over. Are you like that? Or are you like cold, the frozen chosen? Are you one that, I'm here, but I wrote a description. Barely here, spiritually. You lack fellowship. You're not in the word. You're in the world or you're in your own little world. You're isolated. You're hardly obedient. You're looking for excuses why not to serve. You occupy space rather than creating space in your life for God to move. You lack faith. You're not seeking to improve or put into practice your gifts and talents. You're apathetic, uninterested, lazy, bored, and closed off. Now, you may be a Christian, but you may be cold. Just as cold as ice. 
You come in here, people give you hugs, and go, yeah, how are you? Yeah, it's good. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, where's the coffee? And you go to the coffee. Is there any donuts here today? You know, and you're looking around for donuts, and I'm not going to hang around too much. I got things to do at home. I got to work in the garage. You know, I got my tools to organize or whatever it is. You know, I got sewing to do. Yeah, whatever it is. You're just not that interested. And you, you just say, okay, I admit I'm cold. And then there's the worst of all cases, which God said, lukewarm. What is lukewarm and why is it so bad? You know what God said? If we, I include myself in this, if we are lukewarm, what he will do with us? Now, being New Year's, hopefully you haven't experienced that over New Year's. This spewing out the mouth type of thing, right? It's this idea that it is completely detestable. God looks at those who are his, and he did this in the book of Revelation. He talked about this as being hot and cold. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church of Laodicea, write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. That would be Jesus Christ. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. How would you like the Savior to show up and do that? Now, again, I'm, I'm not doing this to, you should feel guilty. And before you go from this place, you should be crying. Right? I, I really am not after that. What I'm after is a self-examination. Are you lukewarm? Now, what would be a description of lukewarm? What does it mean to be tepid? Uh, to give this some context, over in Laodicea, they had springs over there. And the springs were not cold. And they were not hot. There was some volcanic activity in the area, so it'd come out and be lukewarm. It wasn't very refreshing. You know, you drink and you go, eh, meh. I think that's the new word that's out there, meh. Yeah, M-E-H, you can write that down. That's what a lot of millennials are saying, meh. You know, it, it's nothing. And that's like lukewarm. If you think lukewarm, go, meh. Can you say that? Meh. Oh, come on. There, there you go, meh. It's, it's just not good to be meh. You want to be hot or you want to be cold, right? If you're cold, there's, there's hope for the individual. But the lukewarm person, there's not much hope. So you go to Laodicea and they had this tepid meh water and you drink it and it would be nothing. And that's what Christ looks at the individual inside the church that is just kind of lukewarm. He goes on to say that the lukewarm person, you are jaded, you are tired, you are worn out, you are bored, you are fed up, you are cynical, you are exhausted, burnt out, discouraged. You see yourself as less than what Christ perceives you to be, which is a gifted servant. You don't complain really, but you are not excelling. Sometimes you pray, sometimes you read. Your phone and computer are probably the most important things in your life. There's no time to invest in spiritual well-being, although you know the truth and the requirements of discipleship. You're existing but not thriving. That would be lukewarm. So we are either hot, cold, or lukewarm. You decide which one you are. Now, If you're not hot, and usually you can tell the hot people, right? You can just point them out. You know, just too spiritual for me. You know, they are just blazing for the Lord. They are doing everything they can to be close to the Lord. And I'm going to have to wrap this up. Three other things that you need to consider. Are you an infant, an adolescent, or an adult? Infancy, you don't know the Ten Commandments. You don't know the Two Commandments. 
you don't know what you're supposed to do as far as Christ is concerned and knowing his word. You don't know if you're supposed to be baptized. Should I be baptized? Should I not? You're an infant. You don't know anything. You have to be helped with everything. Then you're an adolescent. What does an adolescent need constantly? Discipline and instruction, right? You are always getting yourself in trouble. I mean, you are one time or another, people are coming along and they're having to correct you for what you're doing. Or an adult. An adult is fully mature, able to do whatever he needs to do. So to wrap this part of it up, and I'm going to try not to go too far. I've already truncated what is in here. Take a self-assessment. Take your inventory. Set the benchmarks and take action. As far as the taking inventory, are you an infant, adolescent, or adult? Are you cold, hot, or lukewarm? And you want to be honest in your assessment. Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you want. You are the only one that can give yourself an honest assessment. So you want to take inventory. You want to set benchmarks or goals. I was on the Internet, and this came up. A cleaning calendar. See this cleaning calendar? It's for your house. I saw this, and I thought, this is good. I can give it to Patty. No, I did. I did. <laughs> I look. Yeah, there there are things that I do, you know. And I thought well, this is good for me. I would change the order of some of these, like daily, every morning, make beds, declutter bedrooms and bathrooms. Every evening, declutter living areas. Quick sweep and mop the kitchen. Wipe down kitchen counters and tables. Do the dishes and take out the trash. Now you guys do all that, right? Of course you do. Then weekly. Monday, vacuum mop floors. Tuesday, monthly chore. Wednesday, dust. Thursday, bathrooms. Friday, laundry. Saturday, ketchup. Of course, you would adjust it accordingly. Then there is monthly appliances, furniture, and cabinets, wash rugs, etc. Uh, and then yearly. Jan- it gets one for every month of the year. January, wipe down inside the kitchen cabinets and drawers. By the way, they do that in Japan. I just found out from a foreign exchange student that was staying with my daughter. That's what they do. They clean out all their cabinets. February, organize closets, pantries. March, wipe down the inside of the bathrooms. Okay, I could go on and on with that. It's a good idea to have something daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly. Set a goal. Like, for instance, daily. What's a good idea to do daily? Read and pray. Right? What's a good idea to do weekly? Home fellowship and church. Just show up. I mean, if you do nothing else, just show up. By osmosis, it will just permeate through that semi-permeable membrane in your your head. You'll get the information, right? Monthly, what should you do? Yeah, good idea. Whether you need to or not, right? You can fill in the blanks, and there's things that you can do missionary-wise. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. My encouragement to you guys is take a self-assessment. Look where you are. See how you can improve. If you think you have a gift, Bible says that Paul was telling Timothy to fan it into flame. Make that thing just burning where you show up and people see you and their eyelashes singe back. Just as a side note, I know I'm wasting time here. There's a new hairstylist who is out there. I saw this. I couldn't believe it. He takes a curling iron and he takes women's hair and he actually burns it off. You see it go like that. He, he sticks it on there, clasps it, and it just melts right off. And then he takes samurai swords and he starts cutting their hair as they're sitting like this. He just cuts just crazy stuff. How do I ever get on that? I don't know. But this idea that you are supposed to take a self-assessment, prune what you need to prune, make sure you are living for Christ, make sure you press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. If you do that, you will be blessed. If you don't do that, 
this next year could be a waste. Now, what we're going to do at this time, the worship team is going to come up. We're going to receive communion. I know it's the top of the hour. The Sunday school is probably going to start screaming over there. And so we're going to receive communion. So if you guys would come on up and you would grab this and you would pass it out and hold on to it till we can all participate in receiving it together. And we will sing a song as they are doing that.